Hey everyone, welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and you probably have realized if you listen to this podcast a little bit that I haven't uploaded an episode for quite some time. I was working on a series on Common Grace, uh, and was about to get into some episodes talking about the role of government as it pertains to Common Grace. But, as some of you may know, I was finishing up my MDiv at Midwestern Seminary, and, uh, and so I gave quite a bit of time to that in the last few months, but I graduated on May 6th with my MDiv, and so now I have a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things in the podcasting world. And when I was down in, um, in Kansas City uh, graduating uh, in early May, uh, I had a discussion with Dan Rudman and some of his friends on leadership. So these next few episodes that you're going to be listening to are, are those discussions, those interviews that that Dan and I did with some of his friends. And, and really how this sparked and why I wanted to do a, a series on leadership is because, I mean, I mean it's kind of obvious that in the last few years with, with COVID and with social justice and just all of the social unrest that has been taking place in our country and in the world, what it's done is it has exposed that, you know, our leaders in our churches might not be that great. And I know that's kind of a... A, pes- a pessimistic thing to say, but I think what was discovered is that there are a lot of pastors and church leaders who really aren't leaders. And, you know, for a while when, when life was good, you know, they were able to, to lead the church and do a fine job. But then when things really started to amp up and the, and, uh, the temperature started to rise, it, it, we quickly discovered that, man, I don't think my pastor has what it takes to stand firm in this time to make good decisions under pressure. And so really what I wanted to do then and what I am going to be doing now in these in these next few episodes is to start the discussion on what is what is biblical leadership? Who is a true leader? Um how do we get leaders? Are our leaders developed? Are leaders trained? Do we do we do we make leaders or are leaders given to us by God? Uh and so that's what we're going to be looking at in these next episodes. Before we get into the doctrine of leadership, if that makes sense, getting into passages of Scripture that talk about leadership and display leadership and and looking at biblical examples of of really good, godly leaders, I'm going to start this series um, with a few interviews that, again, I conducted down in Kansas City with a few friends of Dan Rudman's. And the first two interviews are going to be with a couple of older men. Uh, the first one, is his name is Al Nagin, and the second one, his name is Alan Tullison. And these men are, are leaders. They've been leading things and people their whole lives, and now they're towards the end of their life. Al is in his 70s, and Alan is in his 80s. And so they have a lot of just wisdom, obviously, on on what makes a good godly leader. Uh, who's cut out for leadership? What does leadership look like? And so much of the interview is going to be their stories, though, because they themselves displayed godly leadership. So I, I really want you to pay attention to some of these providential um, realities that took place in their early lives as they were being you know, formed as men and formed as leaders. I want you to pay attention to those, those providential things that took place um, because I really do truly believe that God is the one that calls leaders. God is the one that raises up leaders and, and forms leaders. And so we can even look into a, 
a leader's childhood and, and how he was raised, and we can start to see different aspects of his life that helped him become the leader that he would soon be. Uh, and so that's how I'm going to start this series. I'm going to start with these interviews and, and hear just real stories of leaders. And then finally, after those three interviews, Dan and I are going to move into a time of actually talking about the doctrine of leadership, the the things that we can glean from from Scripture itself on what is a true leader. So this first episode is going to be an interview that I did um, in early May with Dan uh, and his friend Al. I hope you enjoy. So Al and I have been friends for about 25 years. Um, I was trying to think on here if I should tell the first story. Probably be good because it has to do with leadership. Al came up to me. I, I, I moved here to Lawrence, Kansas, was developing ministry. Al and I just kind of were more acquaintances, just getting to know each other. And he came up to me when, you know, I'm running around with my wife and five little kids at the time, 25 years ago. Wow. And uh, he walks up to me in the church and he says, you know, he says, I got a story for you. I says, you do? He says, yeah. I went golfing. And I don't remember the guy he went golfing with, but there were two guys golfing with him. And he said, he says, I'm not much of a golfer, is what Al said. And he says, you know, when I hit the ball, I could go here or there. It doesn't really matter. I'm just there to kind of hang out with the guys. And he said, but the one guy there was really, you know, that front nine, he was just having a hard time getting the ball at the goal where he wanted to. And he was mad and he was throwing his clubs and he was cussing and swearing. And he said, we get to the back nine. And I finally look at the guy and say, this is Al speaking. He looks at the guy and says, uh, I can tell you your problem. The guy says, you can't. Al says, yeah, you're just not that good. <laughs> he says, Al says, I know I'm not good, so that's why I'm not cussing and throwing the clubs, because I assume it's going to go every which way. <laughs> and then he looked at me, he says, Redmond, I just want you to know you're not that good. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I don't know what he saw in me, maybe a young pride, or I, I don't even know. I, I've never, and he, he doesn't even remember what he saw, but he just wanted to let me know I wasn't that good. Right. And he just felt he needed to tell me that. Yep. Well, that really provoked me to think if a man that doesn't know me that well is willing to come say that to me, I need to get to know him. Yeah. Because I need men in my life who will actually tell me what they see. Yeah. I need a few guys like that in my life. And I knew Al had a background. We'll talk about that today as he shares his story. I knew he had a background in ministry. And he also had, you know, a personal business, construction, remodeling business he did. So he'd been around the block. And I thought, I want a guy like that to be able to, he understands ministry. Yep understands kind of my beast that I wrestle with it to a degree, but just, he's a man that's going to tell you what he thinks. Yeah. And so that started a friendship that was been 25 years. Now said lots of things to me in life, a lot of encouraging, lovely things, lots of prayer, a lot of challenging things. And it's just been delight. So in a few weeks here, Al and I'll be heading up. I asked him a few years ago, we, we do a bear hunting camp up in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't you come up and be the camp cook? And uh, we don't need a big chef. We just need somebody to do the basic burgers and all that good stuff. And then you just be a camp chaplain. Yeah. And he's, it's just been a rich time. It's been just a riot. We, this will be our third trip. Third, yep. third trip coming up here in a few weeks. And so anyway, I was telling Sam, I thought, you know, I have a handful of friends that I look in their life and I see, you know, they play different roles in leadership in their life. Lots of different ways. Certainly as family men. Yep. But business and ministry. 
And so I thought it'd be really fun to hear their story a little bit and glean from wisdom from them. So um, we'll probably ask some questions, but Al, I just share a little of your story, kind of how the journey began, where you come from, how you came to know the Lord a little bit maybe, and, um, and as we segue into leadership, some roles and things you've seen in life, and then we'll, we'll have a conversation about that. Okay. Uh, Dan, help explain why I don't have any friends in life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't always been that rude. Um, some have thought it's been close, but uh, I believe in honesty. Uh, uh, but that's probably carrying it a little too far. But at any rate, uh, Dan uh, stuck around, and we've become friends for a long time. And that's been a dear relationship of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where I come from, uh, grew up on a farm. Uh, in Minnesota, uh, six natural kids and a whole bunch of foster kids. Mm. And so we always had enough for a couple baseball teams at any given time. <laughs> what what, de- what decades was that again, Al? Uh, I was born in 46. 46 so, okay, so 40s uh, and 50s, yeah. Yep, 40s yep. and 50s. Yep. I grew up on the farm and, yep. and poor dirt farmers, and, and uh, that was a wonderful time of life. Yeah, uh, I learned a lot of things um, that God's now refining that I can use today. But, uh, and, I, and I grew up in a Christian home, uh, godly people, mom and dad. My dad was, a, was an elder, uh, a shepherd with sheep. I won't tell a lot of stories about that, but dad knew how to call sheep and lead sheep, and they followed him. Yep. And it happened in life, too. Yeah. So uh, I had a chance to watch that. Uh, I never called it leadership then. Uh, I didn't know what it was called. It was just dad. And so that was helpful. And uh, went to Christian school and college, and I married my third grade girlfriend. So I've had I've had all the luxuries that God can offer mm-hmm. for a kid to grow up in. Mm. And uh, I also had polio. I missed the whole third grade uh, in '54 with polio. So I knew, and I watched other kids die and get carried away, and. I was the last one in the room. Hmm. And so I had to deal with that, and I knew about that stuff. But as an 8-year-old in 54, you don't, they don't explain it to you. Right. So I had to learn. Uh, it, I didn't cruise through life. Uh, I've had some bumps in my life, too. Uh, and those were just some of the early ones. But in terms of uh, we're talking about uh, leadership, uh, one of the things that I think I have learned and am learning uh, later in life than I that I wish. Um, you don't learn leadership unless you've learned to follow. Mm. And it takes a lot of that. Um, a lot of people want to run to the front. Yeah. And yours included. This just seems to pay more. It's more, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's more fun and you get more... Uh, contacts and you get more joy and but that's not necessarily the best way to learn leadership and yeah. so Chuck Swindoll said all of us uh, uh, are one trip away from a great fall hmm. and leaders uh, put themselves in many of those positions and I did and there were some times I fell uh, we've seen this in the Christian circles the last number of years, and that's a shame, but 
uh, it happens, mm-hmm. and Scripture is true about that. So uh, leadership is, uh, is not all what it's cracked up to be. Right. Um, I've been in a number of positions. I've been a youth pastor at two different churches, one in Colorado and one here in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I was a youth guidance director with Youth for Christ for up in Minnesota for a lot of years. Uh, I was the director of a Open to Christian Boys Ranch here in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, also with Youth for Christ. Um, I've, I think I had 19 camping trips in the Boundary Waters, Minnesota-Canadian border, where oh, I took wow. kids with, from broken homes and juvenile court systems in and take 10 of them at a time, and, and uh, you take them up there and yep. try to teach leadership to them. Uh, they're, they're not easy students. Um, and I've, um, my wife and I have led uh, 22 different mission trips down to Mendenhall, Mississippi, or uh, Children's Haven in, in Mexico. Hmm. That's been the love of our life. Hmm. Um, so we've been in positions of leadership. And some of them I was ready for. And some of them I look back and I think... Uh, I think I got in that position a little sooner than I should. Mm. Um, and I didn't understand it all. So uh, I guess I say all that, that God's taken me and used me. And I've had well, one of the things that Connie and I, we've been doing the last number of years, and I learned that too late too, but we pray together every afternoon. And one of the things that we uh, lift up to the Lord is I just go through names of people that God's put in my life over the years. And some of them have been some real jerks. Yeah, I mean, really jerks. And I've learned a lot from them. And he's also sent some really godly men and some women that uh, it's been great to follow. And so I've learned some things. So that's just kind of, for starters, where I've gotten involved in leadership, uh, kind of by default or by God's plan. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. <laughs> You were also, too, just stepping back, you didn't fill that in, but you were a chaplain for the Air Force Academy for a while. Yeah, uh, when I was in the uh, early 70s, uh, I was at uh, stationed at the Air Force Academy, and I was uh, assistant chaplain there, hmm. and with a lot of cadets, um, teaching them yep. all retreat stuff to uh, how to survive uh, if they get caught in uh, as a POW. Hmm. So we would be out in the wilderness teaching those things. And, mm-hmm. So that was a great time ministry. So when we think about leadership, though, Al, you know, kind of digging into that right now, I'm actually part of a, we have a, what I call a warehouse Bible study. A bunch of guys get together in a warehouse, and Al and I take turns leading. He's been leading us through Ezra and Nehemiah and and Esther, and um, we're (coughs) currently in the middle of that, actually. Um, But I'm just thinking, what would be... You know, I want to get to the point of stuff you've seen in your life, too, but what are some key principles that you think that come to the top of your mind when you think leadership? Here's a, you, you already mentioned one. You've got to be a good follower. But what's some other biblical principles? You always talk about growing up on your dad's or maybe even his granddad's lap, listening to Old Testament stories. Yeah. So what's some, if you were to say, here's the top two or three, you know, maybe it's more than that, but two or three, four key things that you think, this is what it means to be a godly leader. What comes to your mind? Oh boy, you bring up the Old Testament. That's that's the love of my life. Uh, right, I grew right. that and learned that on Dad's lap, mm. and and much more since then. But uh, we look all we can go all the way back to to Noah. 
you pile nails for 120 years and nothing's happening and except people are laughing at you mm-hmm. he had to learn perseverance our mm-hmm. kids gave us a big horse picture on our wall in our living room many years ago um, out of Hebrews uh, run with perseverance uh, that's that's a, something you've got to do day in and day out you can't decide to lead one day because tomorrow or the next day it's not going to go well for you I can pretty much guarantee that mm. and not just because God says in this life you will have troubles but specifically within leadership uh, the world isn't um, and much to our dismay many of us Christians don't jump very quickly to other godly leadership we have our own way we have a better way I have a uh, just watch me for a little while and many of us do that and uh, so Christian leadership uh, it's painful Mm. uh, and you need to persevere through it and almost I'm not trying to be negative but I think you almost need to be um, yeah a bit on a negative uh, side saying I won't expect too much out of this right away because initially there's going to be some fight in this Mm. Um, and right along with that there comes that whole necessity of humility what if I am wrong yeah oh I've had to look at that uh uh, many times in my life, I really was leading well, I thought. And I got a little criticism here and there, and then I'd get criticism a little bit from someone that really loved me and called me aside and says, I'm not going to embarrass you up front, but i, I got to talk to you about this. Yeah. And the first time, second time, third time, I don't know. I've invested a lot in these principles that I really believed in. But I've had to come to grips with the fact of, you know what, I'm sorry. Uh, so humility is really a, uh, and of course, Jesus, the whole servant role, I mean, washing feet business, that's not real popular these days. Right. Um, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So I look at humility and, and, um, and tenderness. We men are macho, way too macho. And we joke about pink and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, we need to wear more pink. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't want to go political with that. I saw the Royals had some pink on yesterday for Mother's Day baseball game. And I thought, yeah, they've caught on. I hope they caught on to it. But um, tenderness. Um, I love a man who can cry. Yeah. Uh, tells me that he's been broken, yeah, or is in the position that he could be broken. Sure. Um, so those are a couple of the. That's great. And we haven't even talked about you know does he really invest in the word and, and learn the principles? Right. Um, and that's a lifelong endeavor. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of things that I've seen, and I could I could take. I could re- go right on down from, you know, uh, Caleb in the Bible. Yeah. He wholeheartedly, oh, man, I haven't, I do quite a bit some days, but I don't know how to spell wholeheartedly. Hmm. That's, a, that's a mouthful. 
But he lived it out. And we read numbers. He just, he did it. Yeah. Um, and we can look at, and you, you mentioned Nehemiah. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. Nehemiah is my favorite biblical character. Uh, probably because uh, I spent 25 years of my life in um, working with kids from broken homes and juvenile court systems. And so I was building there. Mm-hmm. And then I spent the last 20 years in remodeling uh, residential. Mm-hmm. And so I love to take things that are broken down and fix them and build them. Yep. And Nehemiah... Um, he was a carpenter's carpenter. Yep. Um, and so I watch him, and the only thing he did his in 52 days. It took me longer than that. <laughs> but uh, to see his character, uh, stamina, his perseverance. But before he started his project, he prayed for four months. Yeah. And I go... When's the last time I prayed for four months before I started a project? I was introduced by a pretty popular guy in this town many years ago that I really loved, and he was a well-known leader, community leader. He introduced me at a Rotary Club speaker one time, and he did my pedigree, and then he introduced me as Ready, Fire, Aim, Nagin. (laughs) That was not a compliment. Uh, because it was kind of true. Uh, ready, fire, aim. Now I needed to aim first. And uh, I look at Nehemiah and his prayers, and uh, he did that first, and that made sense. So. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So, Al, Sam may have some questions too, but we, again, kind of as we primed or prepped for this, one of the things I'd say is as you look out there and you see leadership, maybe you've already hit on some of these things but like what would you see and I don't mean names obviously but just here here was a leader that really exemplified one or two things that I think are really important I saw this and I saw it play itself out and then you know and then the contrast some things you've seen consistent maybe or common with some failure in leadership that we can all learn and go hey that's something to watch for because if you saw it, saw it out there, you've lived a lot of life, seen lots mm-hmm. of ministries, lots of things. You've probably seen some some consistencies. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. What are some things we need to see as now? There's a thing to shoot for, and there's the thing we need to be aware of because we could fall in that like everybody else. Well, one of the sad things is uh, I really enjoyed and jumped into um, my 25-year ministry with kids from broken homes and and certainly with Youth for Christ. And I, later as years went on, I many times I said, that wasn't something that I did. Uh, that's kind of who I was. Uh, so my heart was into that, heavy. Yeah. And as house parents and uh, of, of boys, Christian boys ranches, and I was always recruiting somebody, you know, you all ought to do that, because that's wonderful. But as I watched over the years, um, had a leader in there, uh, a regional leader, who I followed real close for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I saw him drifting. And I thought, no, that can't be. And we weren't that close. We lived quite a miles apart 
few miles apart. I mean, a couple hundred. But so it wasn't every day we were in each other's lives. But I watched that, and we'd get conferences, and we'd get, and I watched him drift away and drift away, and not just from spiritual input for me, but at conferences, his leadership and the things he discussed got to be watered down more and more and I'm thinking you have a lot of things to be saying that are hard that we need to hear mm. and you've quit saying them yeah and nobody's speaking to those issues anymore so and then I saw him resign and then I saw him quote unquote go into another ministry and that made me nervous and then I saw him leave his wife and family. Mm. And I'm going, that was hard for me to grab a hold. How can this happen in the Christian life? Uh, and probably particularly for me, uh, how could I be so fooled? Can I just jump behind somebody's leadership and am I not seeing uh, the lack of something? And so I went through a period of time, I think, when I started watching particularly Christian leaders with a lot more skepticism than I wanted to. I've had some godly men that just, <laughs> through thick and thin, they, they lived the life of Christ and, and they did it faithful. And I've been to a number of their funerals. And uh, those are wonderful times because they... They died like they lived. Mm. Um, obviously, you'll probably hear one of my favorite leaders is Chuck Swindoll, but he uh, said so many times that promise keepers back in the early 90s uh, die well. He said, what does die well mean? He says, it's not easy, but it's very simple. To die well is to live well a whole lot of days in a row. Hmm. And I've, I've never forgotten that. And hmm. I've watched some men who've done that. So, Dan, in response to your question, uh, I've seen um, the plus and the minus. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I also, <laughs> a couple months ago, I called an old pastor friend of mine. Uh, he was my pastor on the farm when I was 13 to 18. He's now 85. Actually living about uh, 10 miles from where you grew up, Dan. Really? Up in up in uh, Big Springs, uh, Big Michigan, Rapids. Big Rapids, Michigan. And, yeah. and I called him. It took me quite a while to get a hold of him. But that was from, heck, that's a lot of years ago. Uh, I got a hold of him, and I just called him to tell him thanks. I says, Bert, I just want to tell you thanks for living that life out to me as a 13-year-old kid yep. when I had was too big to sit on Dad's lap anymore and listen to the Old Testament, and I had to find something else. And uh, he was pastor on a farm, and I've, I followed him through the years at a number of churches, and I lost track of him. He and I have been on the phone several times in the last two years. 
Uh, and so I watched, and he didn't go through an easy time. He went through some difficult days of ministry too. And he told me about that. Um, over the years, as we've talked. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, I thought you kind of cruised because you were a man of the word. And yeah. Uh, no, he says, I didn't cruise. He says, none of us cruise. He says, if you think we're cruising, you're not, we're not telling the truth. Hmm. And, I, and, you know, I have to deal with that. Is, does that mean that everybody in Christian leadership will really have bad years? No, I, I won't say that. I can't come to that conclusion. But let's not rule that out as a possibility. Sure. Um, you talk about Nehemiah, and I get into the, the captivity and the return, and I look at God's big thing, and I haven't understood it all, but I know that it's true. How does God take bad guys like Assyrians and worse guys like Babylonians, and then Cyrus and Artaxerxes, mm -hmm. and how does he say, I'm going to use you guys in my favorite kids' lives to bring them back to grow them up? Mm -hmm. Well, I knew the principle that God can use anybody he chooses whenever he wants, how it wants, and that's kind of academic. But then when I get studying and I find out, he actually did it. Mm -hmm. And... So why did I go through some tough days? And why are some other faithful people, well, maybe I didn't realize they weren't quite as faithful as I gave them credit for some times. Hmm. And so is it okay for me? I hope I get beyond the days where I can go to Dan. And like he said, uh, you're not that good. Uh, it wasn't quite that simple, but... I mean, it was early in our relationship, and I probably shouldn't have said it that way, <laughs> but uh, I believe that. Yeah. And uh, we, we men, uh, we hear it and say it all the time, iron sharpens iron. And I say, yeah, some days it just creates some sparks. Yeah. And we men have to be godly enough with each other to call each other out yeah. on the side if we're going to be leaders. Yeah. Because uh, none of us get to be godly men without some real struggles. Yeah. Mm. That's good. The word that comes to my mind now when you talk about that, you say perseverance, humility. It's just it's a word we use a lot, and I'm sure in this whole series we'll use it a lot. But it seems the the big thing to me that you know was emphasized in my early earlier Christian life as I began, you know, in ministry more, um, was this idea of faithfulness, like this plodding along and being faithful day by day. And I've said it in settings before, but I heard, uh, who I know you like, you liked him too, uh, uh, Howard Hendricks. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and Your her, Dallas boy. <laughs> yeah. But he talked about how, you know, at some point in his life, I mean, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but I was a young man listening to him. And at that time, you know, he was an older man. I don't, couldn't tell you that he's probably my age now, so he seemed older. But um, he talked about the men he kept track of uh, leaving the seminary. He'd mentored. He was really into even personal mentoring, you know, and mm -hmm. he had a lot of guys he kept track of. And I remember the talk, and I wish I could go back and find the actual numbers, but fundamentally he was sharing that these number of men he kept track of in their life and their ministry after they left the seminary. And it was only 
15, 20%, it was like 15% that were still going faithful after like 20, 25 years. They'd, they'd left ministry. Um, it wasn't all sexual. We tend to think that, but a lot of it was that, I think, you know, immorality. Some of it was other kinds of difficulties in their life, but they left leadership is his point. And I remember him saying the big, the big point of all of that was he said, if you don't do, do anything more than just stay faithful to the Lord, faithful to your family, faithful to the simple things God's called you to, you will find yourself light years ahead of the culture. Never yep. forget that. So you don't have to, you know, in a sense, you don't have to write a great book. You don't have to plan a monster church. You don't have to do anything mega. Just be faithful and you're going to find yourself way ahead of the game. And it's stuck with me all these years. I've told all these young guys like Sam and others that I spend time with. I'm like, there's just, I've seen enough of it now in my own life. How many of my friends, even my age, and I've just seen a lot of failure in leadership. I just have. I've seen a lot of guys. And it's, again, it's not even always the immoral thing, but maybe they don't finish well or they just kind of poop out. Or um, So there's something about that perseverance and that faithfulness just day by day plodding away. I, um, as I... We talk about perseverance. I, I, I think about that picture on our wall um, several times a day. And I've studied it. There's four horses running through the pasture. Not one of those hooves are on the ground. And I don't know if the artist really painted that way. And I'm not sure what that means, where they all should be off. I'm thinking, well, we got to be well-grounded. Somebody ought to have their hooves on the <laughs> ground. <clears throat> but I think there's another uh, principle that he's trying to show is that we're going to be moving. Mm -hmm. We can't be staying here. And, you know, Dan, you share yeah. that. that. What a shame uh, that I expect the world to do that. Uh, I look at the three of us, and I look at a few others that hang out here and other places, and I think, that can't be said of us. Because mm. yeah. um, how shall you hear? Except how shall... What are we going to watch? We've got to have those models. Uh, something that in Acts 4, I think so many times, uh, again a week, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they watched Peter and John, and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not everybody in Lawrence is walking down the street saying, oh, I just want to see Al Negan. No, hardly any. But some do every day go to the grocery store or fill up with gas or whatever, and I don't ever want them to go to bed that night and say, I saw Al, and I could tell he'd been with the other guy. Hmm. That has... Yep. Boy, I, I can get teary about that. That's that, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah. We're, we we have been given, and we owe more than that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it is amazing. And I don't know what you do when you, th you think of the Old Testament and all the failure of kings. Hardly any, hardly any finished well. Um, Joshua and Caleb. Sixty-six only... kings, and there was eight good ones. Yep. That's not a good percentage. No, that's my that's my point. And again, I I would love to go back and find that. <coughs> it would have been a cassette tape of Howard Hendricks to get to get the actual number. But I'm serious. I remember hearing him say the numbers, and it was about fifteen percent, I think. And then you think Joshua and Caleb, two out of the twelve, same thing, fifteen percent. You're down there, and you're like, wow. And so that's always been kind of this looming thing over my mind as I've been in life and ministry, like. Man, I just somehow want to be faithful. I just want to be just plod along and somehow finish this thing. 
because what makes me think I'm not going to fail like anybody else, right? I mean, it's, we see so much of it. Like, it's easy to think, oh, I, I, it's not going to be me. Well, yeah. and so if I were to swing back around, that's why I would say um, one of the things, you know, that I've learned from Al, and Al's been a, a great friend in this to me, is he's just been a friend. I mean, we haven't even, he, he would tell you, we, we've had discussions, we haven't always agreed on things. Um, Dan Jung yet. <laughs> yeah, that's what he tells me. You'll, you'll learn. You'll learn. <laughs> but, but seriously, there's something about us as leaders. That would be another topic for another day, but it does fit in here. Part of that is, and I, I just shared this with some of our uh, AFCI ministry, our board and our leaders just a few weeks ago, you've got to have a few men in your life. Every man has to have a few men in his life. And it's a chemistry thing, meaning like you've got to develop these friendships. It doesn't happen overnight. But you've got to have a few guys in your life who don't think you walk on water mm-hmm. and love you enough that they'll tell you what they really see. Yeah. And I've had mornings, Sam. I mean, literally, I met with Al sometimes, and he says, man, he has some other words that he uses I won't use in the podcast, but I'll just say, you look like crap, Rudman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going on with you? You know, And he can see it. He's known me long enough. He can see my you know, sleepy eyes, my health, my demeanor. He's not looking good. What's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and But... That's something about, you could say, the local church, the local community. It's inherent with some of us that are more uh, traveling itinerants. I, you know, we've heard the recent stories of Ravi and others. But you've got to somehow in life be grounded somewhere with a community of people that really know you over the long haul and they can read those things. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to say anything. Al can look at me and go, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. We talk about the balanced life, you know, and I've heard it said that every man needs a, a Paul in his life. Who is feeding into him? Yeah, and he's a Timothy that he's feeding, mm-hmm. and he needs a Barnabas who will be the encourager. Mm. And that's a great balance when I think of yep. input and output and uh, a balance yeah. encourager. Um, and there's many times I have had to stop and think. Let's see now who who is filling that role in my life right now. Mm. Uh, well, I've got three of them that I'm feeding. No, that's not the question, Negan. Yep. Who's feeding you? Well, I got one that we get to... No, no. Who is really feeding you? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and why are they not feeding you? Have you presented yourself as one who doesn't need being fed? Mm. Yeah. Uh, oh, hadn't thought of that one. Yep. See, that's what I mentioned. Uh, yeah. Again, not to go there, but it's just, you know, we're spontaneous here in a podcast. I don't know everything happened with Robbie Zacharias, and anybody listening to this probably knows that there was this great failure at the end of his life here. But I remember when I first heard it, I thought, okay, you know, there was all this sexual stuff too, you know, impropriety. But my big question is like, where were the people in his life? Where were the, you know, I don't even just say the official thing called the board, I could call it that, but, but where are the people in his life that, you know, it seems like there was a track record of things unfolding. Was there nobody saying anything? I'm not blaming everybody. Maybe there were, and he just wasn't listening, which I've heard too, that maybe he just couldn't listen. But there's something about being in a local community of people, i.e. the local church primarily, and a circle of guys around you as leaders that you need a guy or two in your life. I heard Alistair Begg gave a great question. It was a great one. No, excuse me. It was on the Alistair Begg show, but it was a guy that he brought in who was speaking and he was from you know, great, great Britain, somewhere over there. Had that cool accent that those guys have. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that guy met with a guy regularly. And the question that would come up is, what's the one question you don't want me to ask you this week? Mm-hmm. I thought, man, 
What a question, right? And so I'm just tying that all together. There'll be other talks we probably have on our podcast about that, but certainly this idea of perseverance. If you're going to make it for the long haul, you've got to have some men around you that speak truth to you, that are with you, helping you that long haul. So anyway, I, I don't have any more thoughts right now, well, Sam. What one, do you, go ahead. One, one, one that I was thinking of is uh, yeah. kind of switching gears just a little bit here. Sure. Uh, you mentioned that if, if a leader's never been a follower, it's just not going to work out. So I guess we could define leadership in a way of your your people are following you. If you're if you don't have any followers, you're not a leader. Yeah, yeah, you've told me. Yeah, yeah. Seminary, Doctor Don Weaver, (laughs) our seminary professor. I just love that. I mean, he our president. He he was a great influence in my life. He probably didn't even know what influence he was, but he gave this chapel service a series of chapel services on leadership, and he said a leader with no a leader with no followers is only out for a walk. Yep. Yeah. So. to go yeah. off of that, then what yeah. what makes if if this guy's a leader, people are following him. Yeah. Why do people want to follow this guy? What about him is worthy of following? Yeah, that's a great question. What, how is that? And how is somebody like it, let, let, we've talked a lot about character and stuff like that, which is totally necessary. Right. But what about the stuff that's not character? Yeah. That distinguishes somebody who's not a leader, but still a godly person, versus this other person who is a leader. And yeah. let's just yeah, say that he is godly. Yeah, that's a big topic. I want to follow this guy and not this guy. They're both godly, though. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, a couple things come to mind. One is is some people are just louder than others. Yeah. If you have two men that are, they're, no one's exactly alike, but yeah. have godly character qualities, and yeah. they happen to be going to the same church or the same parachurch organization or the same school board or whatever it is one of them talks quite a bit the other one never says anything Mm. people are generally going to follow the one who speaks a lot yeah i'm not saying it's right i'm saying they do that because they're thinking well if i get behind a guy that doesn't say anything i think he's really got a lot of things together but i need to know where we should go Mm. and so i think uh, a presence. Um, I'm not talking loud mouth. Yeah. I'm talking. Uh, some people have a presence. They can say some things. Yep. And people hear that. Yep. And they hear it the first time, and uh, so that helps. Uh, we've also seen the other uh, people who shout a whole lot of things. And one of the things that's really helpful, I think, is. Uh, I've seen some people the last couple years who are not shouters. In fact, they're not even really loud. But with all of the political turmoil we've gone in, the medical turmoil and stuff, I've watched some people who say things quite softly. Mm. And I watch them close. And I move closer to them because they're whispering. Mm-hmm. And I can't afford not to hear what they're saying. Right. And so I think that also works, particularly in a time of upheaval when there's a lot of people shouting for leadership, hear me, hear me. Mm-hmm. The, the real good people who are serious about this, they pay attention to the horse whisperer, mm. and they pull up alongside. 
And I think that's also helpful. Yep. I would something, say, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Al. You're something good. I was going to say, an area that I didn't intend to uh, as we get running out of time, uh, closing, uh, I really haven't addressed the family issue. Yeah. And that's something that I think we need to pay attention to. Uh, we don't usually think in terms of, well, I'm a leader in my family, or I'm not a leader. Uh, we have a whole variety of styles there, and, and, and we've seen them. Um, I grew up, my dad was a godly man, an elder in the church, and, and uh, I'm biased. But I watched a bunch of things there. But I, I watched some other things that I, uh, when I look at as a family, I, I really thought, I grew up thinking that if I'm going to be a leader in my family, I need to uh, speak up, I need to be head of home, I need to have teaching i need to have answers for my family i should tell my wife what i really expect uh, not in a harsh way uh, but somebody needs to lead my kids need to follow mm -hmm. and this is what they need to do and i did that and i went through the periods of time where my wife rolled her eyes and says uh, i'm not sure that's good leadership and i'm not sure that's an area that i want to follow you real close in and that kind of took me by surprise earlier in our marriage. And then the teenage years for our kids, I thought, they don't seem to be following within six feet like I was hoping they would. And there's other voices out there that they're hearing. And so what's the deal? Well, I think I've just been catching on the number of you. I've talked with families in the last number of years, and they say, so what would you change? The thing that I would change about leadership in the family, instead of concentrating, which I did early, concentrate on being head of home spiritually I would have spent more time going to my wife and my kids as a brother and sister in Christ and say your husband your dad really blew it this week and I need forgiveness and will you pray for me and you're also a brother and sister in Christ and that's what I need we don't need this hotshot leader we need a brother sister hmm. and uh I'm not trying to usurp the leadership. We need that. Right. But uh, I wish I would have dedicated more time to that end of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that falls into the second thing you shared today, Al. You said perseverance and humility. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. The humility, like, you know, I'm a repentant, broken sinner too. Yep. And, you know, I, I know I had times with my kids with that. We worked real hard at uh, not just saying we're sorry, but forgive me. Right. I was mm -hmm. always teaching that to my kids because usually when you say, I'm sorry, I'm still kind of in control and that's the thing I'm supposed to do. But there's something about coming to you with open hands, you know, mm -hmm. in a certain posture that says, would you forgive me because of X, Y, Z? And we tried to, at least to some degree, demonstrate that within our family. You know, there'd be times I would just, I'd be upset with my kids for doing something. And now that thing actually did need to be corrected, but I handled it wrong. I just did it wrong. It was terrible. You know, and I had to ask the forgiveness, and you had to work on that. But I remember speaking at a men's conference one time, sharing some of those stories. And it, to, to your point, it really did surprise me. This isn't like a kudos for Dan, but somehow I had learned some of that seeking forgiveness for my kids. And uh, I remember sharing at a men's conference and went to some breakout sessions afterwards, and I had guys ask me, you actually do that? You actually confess to you? I'm like, yeah, I blew it, you know. But I'm just saying to your point, yeah, there's something about uh, leadership that says, hey, I blew it here. Right. But that, but that's worthy to be followed, though. That's yep. what's fascinating, well, that, right? Yeah, that's the thing. 
Yeah, right. Like a leader is, is supposed to be, well, I guess in Christian leadership, exemplifying the goal of sanctification. Yeah. And part of sanctification <laughs> is being able to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not Jesus. Guys, right. I'm not Jesus. We're, we're, we need together to follow Jesus, right? right? So if you're so, a leader who never asks for forgiveness, well, yeah. what's going on here? Like, yeah. how how are how are you expecting the people you're leading then to be people who ask for forgiveness? Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure we'll have lots of other discussions in, throughout this series and this podcast about leadership, and you know some of those things are natural. God wires things. God makes a man a certain way, but we all play some role of leader in our lives, especially as men right. in, our, in our homes, and and everybody has some place that they have some kind of, you know, we're going to get that eventually to authority. Yep. That's mm-hmm. just. Yeah. Adam had authority in the garden, and he blew it. That was the yep. whole point. You listened to your wife. It wasn't because she was stupid. It was because she wasn't supposed to do that, and he wasn't supposed to follow it. You know. And um, one of the thoughts I had when you were saying that, though, I think Al, see if this this would resonate with you. And you've you probably heard me say it. it's one of these things. As we get older in life, you have these handful of things. I've heard it from you, Al. You know, we laugh. Yeah, I've heard it a hundred times. You know. Yep, exactly. This is if you want to hear Al. Here's his ten mean things he's going to say. You know. <laughs> And, and we all do. Every older man I know, and I'm in my 60s now, and so I find myself doing the same thing. So here, here would be one of those of mine, and see if this resonates with, as far as following a leader. Why would somebody follow somebody? Yeah. And at least for me, this is true. Okay, A man may or may not live what he professes, but he'll always <coughs> live what he really believes. So you know what a man believes, not by what he says, but what he does. Yep. And I watch people, and I want to know. And we're all inconsistent. I'm being, again, I want to be as honest about that, too. We blow it. I got that. But I want to follow a man who actually lives a certain way, mm-hmm. not just says it. They can preach it all they want from Sunday. And some of that comes from my background, too. My dad was always, you know, my dad was a police officer, and he was always suspicious of attorneys and yep. politicians, everybody. Everybody blows smoke, you know, and, uh, and I grew up with that. And so that's part of maybe in my DNA. But part of leadership to me is watching how somebody actually lives. And so to your point, Al, you know, they don't always have to even communicate it, but I watch them. I'm like, no, there's a guy to, there's a guy you could follow because he's actually living a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exemplary. I don't know what you think about that, but yeah. Um, first thing comes to mind is we're so rare that are worth watching and that are consistency. Uh, boy, it's hard to find a man who just uh, because if we're watching close, if you watch me close, or if you don't watch me close, I'll probably look pretty good. The closer you watch me, ooh, so you notice that. Mm-hmm. I was afraid you noticed that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spend my whole life trying to be a phony and say, I've got to be nice today, today because Dan's probably going to, Mm-hmm. I'm going to be with Dan, and, and if I say something wrong, Dan's going to... No, I, I can't live my whole life that way. But on the other hand, I hope we have enough respect and understanding that I owe you something when we're together uh, that's godly, because we both identified ourselves as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, this shouldn't have to be made up, but I owe you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is my open heart. Uh, yep. You can take a look at it. I just and I and to the degree that we know each other, I know you'll be kind with me when you 
slap me upside the head. And if I fall down, I know you'll pick me up. But yeah, uh, that's that's a risking thing. And we don't have very many uh, people in our lives, certainly not men, that we get close enough to to trust to watch that. Mm-hmm. And that we're really cheating ourselves out of a lot of things when we don't risk getting close with uh, junior high kid says, well, how many friends you got? Oh, I got hundreds of them. So who's your best five? Uh, nobody comes to mind, but so that isn't what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about, we don't, I don't have a hundred friends, but I have a couple yep. that love me enough that'll make me squirm. Hmm. That's good. So, That's great. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh, I encourage you to tune into the next episode that will drop soon as we interview Dan's friend, Alan, and hear a little bit about his story and how he became a leader. If you are at all helped or encouraged by this podcast or the ministry that I do with Ambassadors for Christ International, feel free to give a donation. I'll have a link to AFCI's giving page in the show notes. Otherwise, uh, I would encourage you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player that or app that you use to listen to this podcast because it helps with discoverability. Thanks again for tuning in.